You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. We're going to jump right into the Word. This is week one of our series called Blessed, Living in the Blessing of Abraham. Turn to somebody and say, you are blessed, and ask them a question. Are you living in the blessing of Abraham? Tell them this, say, you should be. (laughs) Amen. But I want you to be able to take some good notes and uh, write some things down. I I anticipate this series will probably last about four weeks, and uh, so... We're going to get into some great things today, and uh, I'm excited about this. But let's look at our foundation scripture. It's found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. This is what we're going to base this series on. Notice this. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, those are two very, very powerful scriptures. We're going to break them down in some detail today and get into some things. Um, We're really going to dive into some things over the next few weeks that I really want to encourage you. Don't miss a part of this. If you can't physically be here, please listen to the podcast Uh, because I want you to be on top of this. But let me read this one more time. Christ has redeemed us. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? We're going to talk about that. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? Why did he do that? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. By the way, that's you and me. All right, we are the Gentiles. We're adopted into the family by the Lord Jesus. But the blessing of Abraham might come upon us in Christ Jesus and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, we're going to break this down. I want to talk to you a little bit to begin with on what is the curse. It says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So there's a a, a couple of curses that are... Uh, pretty well pronounced in the Old Testament. There is the curse that came upon the earth through Adam's sin. And then there is a curse called the curse of the law, which came upon people that were not obedient to the Lord. Now they're both related and they're connected because with one, you you can't have one without the other. So what I want you to understand is, is that uh, the curse began, if you want to write this down, and, and let me just lay this foundation. Sin has been judged since before the foundation of the world. That means that God had decided in eons past that sin was judged. And, and the scripture tells us this. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. I'm sure this is a familiar scripture. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God in in eons past, in eternity past, decided that that sin was going to cost us. Sin was going to bring about death. It was going to bring about the curse. 
I, I love what the New, New, uh, New English translation says, for the payoff of sin is death. Now, one thing you need to understand is outside of Christ, if, if you aren't born again, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the scripture teaches us that we are born into sin. We'll see that in just a moment. And unfortunately, being born into sin, what that means is death, spiritual death, and death in its many forms is available to us and is part of our lives. And so the good news is Christ has redeemed us from that. And so we are not subject in Christ to have to pay that penalty. Why? Because Jesus paid it for us. He paid the penalty. He paid the wages of sin, and that was death. So here's the second thing I want you to see, and that is this. When Adam sinned, a curse was released into the earth. Now, you need to understand, when God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, it was perfect. There was no corruption. There was no sin. There was no curse. There was no death. Uh, everything was full of life. Um, and when he placed his man in the garden, everything was right. Everything was perfect. There was no, uh, you know, they didn't celebrate. They didn't have the season of fall back then because leaves didn't die. Everything just lived perpetually. Life was the order of the day. However, when, when Adam sinned and disobeyed God and bowed his knee to, to Satan, and Satan became the God of this world, it released a curse into the earth. And because of that curse, everything uh, was now subject to death. Look at what Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Somebody said, but pastor, I'm a good person. Well, that might be true. But the fact of the matter is because you were born into a sinful, broken, dead world, you are a sinner outside of Christ. Now, once you are born again and you receive Christ, you're no longer a sinner uh, you know, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. But here's what I want you to see. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So for the first time in its existence, the earth experienced this thing called death. Plants began to die. Uh, death was entered, introduced into humanity. Uh, death was just rampant everywhere. Now, death can take on many forms. You know, just because we use the term death, that doesn't necessarily mean casket dead. Uh, how many of you know uh, a broken relationship or a relationship that is destroyed is, is death? That is a form of death. You know, people that uh, unfortunately have gone through maybe a divorce, that's the death of a marriage. So relationships can experience death. People can experience death. Um, death can, can manifest itself in a number of different forms. So this was the beginning of the curse. So when Adam sinned for the first time in its existence, the curse was entered and introduced into the world. So let's get down into this. What is the curse? And you're, by the time we get through with this, you're going to understand what a curse is and what a blessing is. 
Somebody said a curse is when you use curse words. No, that's not exactly right, okay? You know, if you're from the South, we say cussing, all right? We don't say cursing. But um, that is not necessarily what we're talking about, although it's an outworking of it. But here's what a curse is. It's just a plain definition. A curse or the curse is a declaration which dooms someone to failure. The curse is a declaration which dooms someone to failure. So if you are living under the curse, guess what? You are doomed to failure. Now, you might have a successful life in many, many ways, but listen, when you stand up at the the threshold of eternity, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're going to experience failure in a big way. Okay, so what I want you to see is the curse is a declaration. It's words that are spoken which dooms someone to failure. Now, in the uh, Hebrew, here's some definitions of the word curse. It means this, to destroy, to do away with, to cease, to terminate. It means to render idle, unemployed, inactive, It means to cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency. And it means to deprive of force, influence, and power. Now, as I was preparing this message, I remember years ago, I think I was 14 years uh, old, and I was working in a warehouse. And I remember the man who managed the warehouse, he pulled me aside one day, and he introduced me to something called Murphy's Law. Anybody ever heard of Murphy's Law? Okay, and, and I, I had never heard of it, and he, he was introducing it to me, and he, he said this, Murphy's Law, quick definition is this, if it can go wrong, it will. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So, you know, as I was preparing this message, that came back to my remembrance, and so I did some search on, uh, thanks, to doc, thanks to Dr. Google, and uh, looked up some things, and I found this about the definition of Murphy's Law. See if this doesn't sound like the curse to you, okay? So let's look at Murphy's Law. Here's number one. In any field of endeavor, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. That sounds like a curse-filled existence to me. Left to themselves, things always go from bad to worse, okay? Number three, if there is a possibility of several things going wrong, The one that will go wrong is the one that will cause the most damage. Number four, nature always sides with the hidden flaw. Now, this is right out of Google as a definition of what Murphy's Law is. And number five, if everything seems to be going well, you have obviously overlooked something. (laughs) Listen, I am so glad that I am in Christ and I don't have to live according to this. Now, you use wisdom and you plan and and strategize and do things like that. But here's the good news. You are not doomed to live according to Murphy's law if you are in Christ. All of that stuff is broken off of your life. And I heard somebody say, um, you know, I've got reverse paranoia. And I, I, I didn't know what that meant. It was a minister who said it. And he went on to define it. He said, Instead of living under Murphy's Law where I'm looking for everything to go wrong and people to let me down and people to hurt me, he said, I've got reverse paranoia, meaning everybody's out to bless me. 
Stuff is out to bless me. And that's kind of the attitude we need to have. You need to have an attitude where, listen, I'm looking for stuff to go right. Amen? All right, so don't live under Murphy's Law. Tell the person beside you, say, I'm not living under Murphy's Law. Okay? All right, now, I want to show you this. The curse is made up of three parts, three general parts, okay? The curse is made up of three general parts. And here we go. The first part is spiritual death. Now, let me explain to you what spiritual death is. Spiritual death differs from physical death in the sense of, okay, let me explain physical death to you, that if Jesus tarries, all of us who are born again, if he doesn't come first, we will all experience physical death. And at some point, we will lay our bodies down and go home to be with the Lord if Jesus doesn't come back. That is not spiritual death. Spiritual death is where Basically, you are spiritually dead and separated from God. Now, Jesus, as we said to you last week, when he was hanging on the cross, you remember right before his death, he cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what, it, what he was saying was, for the first time in his he, eternal existence as the, the second member of the Godhead, he had experienced and was experiencing spiritual death or separation from God. He had never been separated from God before. And because he took your sin and my sin upon himself, for the first time ever, he was experiencing spiritual death. And so spiritual death, really physical death, um, is something that all of us will experience. But once you've been born again, spiritual death has been wiped out. Okay, here's the second part of the curse, and that is sickness and disease. Did you know that there was no sickness and disease in the earth before Adam's sin? There was no such thing as diabetes. There was no such thing as cancer. There was no such thing as any of the physical ailments that we deal with. There was no pain in Adam's body or Eve's body. There was nothing related to sickness and disease in the earth. And sickness and disease was introduced into the earth as a result of sin. By the way, Satan is the author of sickness and disease. God has never and will never make anybody sick. You know why? He doesn't have any. <laughs> you remember Jesus prayed a prayer? He said, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, guess what? Heaven has not had one sick day. Okay? Heaven has no sickness. Heaven has no disease. And so Jesus was praying that the will of the Father, which is in heaven, would be manifest here in the earth. And so through Christ, it has. So sickness and disease is part of that curse. And here's the third. Now, and these are very general. There's a lot of things that can come underneath these three categories. But here's the third one, poverty and lack. Poverty and lack. Let me say this to you. It is not God's will for you and for me to live in poverty and lack. Now, I know there might, you know, not here, but, in, you know, in, in Christian world and in the world in general, there might be some resistance to that. Now, I did not say God's going to make everybody a millionaire. Okay, I didn't say that. But I did say he'll make you rich. 
We, we learned that in our series before. Now, here's what I mean. God wants you to have a full supply. He wants you to have more than enough. So lack and insufficiency is not the will of God. Here's what I see. Every time I look in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, when God got involved in somebody's life and they obeyed him, their life improved. It got better. And so what I want you to see is that all three of these things are included in the curse. So spiritual death, sickness and disease, and poverty and lack. Now, I want to read something to you. This is an article that I found called A Bitter Pill to Swallow. And just bear with me because I want you to wrap your brain a little bit about the curse. And again, for the purpose of understanding what we've been redeemed from, But the article said this, it's no wonder that the Hebrew root of the word curse means bitterness because the curse made Adam and Eve's lives bitter in every way. It embittered both the spirit realm and the natural realm. It caused the animals Adam had named to see him as their enemy instead of their benefactor. Even the ground became bitter towards mankind. You know, I thought about that. You know, um, I don't like snakes. I don't like spiders. I don't like any of that kind of stuff. Um, I would just as soon not run into any of those things. But there was a day, and there is coming a day, when you and I will not have to fear poisonous snakes. Did you know that? The Bible says that when Jesus comes and reestablishes his kingdom in the earth, that the, the, the child will be able to lay near and I believe it actually, it might say adder, but it, it says cobra could mean cobra. In other words, we do not have to fear the animal kingdom anymore because that is all part of the curse. All right? So instead of joyfully producing abundant fruit for them to eat, the ground didn't want to grow anything. Adam, who had once lived in a marvelous, beautiful place filled with abundance, was forced to scratch a living out of the ground that rebuked him every time he tried to plant it and harvest it. He had to sweat and strain to earn a living, knowing the whole time that God had not designed him to earn a living, but to create a living. Think about that. Every aspect of the curse came as a horrible shock to Adam and Eve. Nothing in them was created to deal with it. Their spirits weren't created to be infested with death and darkness. They were created to be filled with life and light. Their minds weren't made to house things like hatred and fear. They were made for love and faith. Their bodies were designed for health, not sickness and disease. Death in all its manifestation is totally foreign to human beings. The curse is completely contrary to the way God made us. That's why the body fights those things. Our whole system rebels against them because they don't have any business in or on us. When sin, hate, fear, and other aspects of the curse invade us, our bodies recognize them as opposing alien forces and begin to fight them. The body will fight those things until it dies. Did you you think about that? Your body, here we are some 6,000 years, according to the scriptures, after Adam's creation, Adam, after he sinned, lived 930 years. We don't know how long he was alive before he sinned. The Bible doesn't tell us that. 
But it took him because of the life of God that had been in his physical body at one time. Once he sinned, it took 930 years for his physical body to finally shut down. Even today, your body fights to live. Even today, you can get a splinter, a little tiny splinter in your finger. And if you don't get that splinter out, your body will go to work to fight that splinter. That's why, you know, if you leave it in there long enough, you run the risk of it getting infected because your body is working trying to eject that foreign object that it's not accustomed to having. The body is a wonderful thing. And by the way, medical science does not heal you. All medical science does is facilitate the healing in your body. Let me say it to you this way. Think of, use your head for just a moment, okay? Let's say you have to get surgery to remove something from your body that shouldn't be there, okay? Think about this. They cut you. They open you up in order to facilitate healing that your body will automatically do because of the way God created it. The body is a wonderful thing, and it wasn't designed to live in the curse. It was designed to live in the blessing. Adam, excuse me, Adam must have panicked as the consequences of the curse began to dawn on him. He must have thought, how am I ever going to get out of this? My seed is bitter, so even my children will be affected by it. The earth is bitter. The animal kingdom is bitter. I've been in, even been embittered in my relationship with God. Oh God, how can I ever be your friend again? He must have said. Before he could even ask those questions, however, they were answered. Hallelujah. God answered them before the foundation of the world. When he foresaw that man would fall, the moment Adam and Eve's sin was revealed and they stood before God, stripped of their former glory, God began to reveal his merciful plan to man. And that was that in, at the right appointed time, he was going to send Jesus into the earth and Jesus was going to redeem mankind and undo what Adam had done. He spoke about the seed of the woman that would one day crush the serpent's head. He pointed down through the corridor of time to the last Adam, the Redeemer, who would undo what Satan had done through the first Adam. And he gave the first clues to the mystery that would be kept secret for thousands of years that God himself would become the Son of Man, bear the bitterness of the curse, and forever restore the blessing back into the earth. Aren't you glad? Amen. All right, so you are redeemed from the curse. So that is a general basic glimpse of the curse. Let's don't spend any more time on the curse that we need to. Let's start looking at what Jesus has done for us. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, by the way, if you want to find out what the curse of the law is, you can just make a note of this. It's in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 68. Now, we're going to read the blessing in just a few moments, and it's exactly the opposite of everything that we're going to read, okay? So Christ has redeemed us. That's Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. 
which is just a documentation of everything that was introduced into the world because of Adam's sin. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Did you know that just because Jesus was crucified, the curse came on him? It comes from, that's an Old Testament quote that under the law, when somebody was crucified, or actually the term, because crucifixion didn't come about until the Romans, but they used to, in Old Testament times, impale people on poles. I know that's kind of graphic, but the fact of the matter is that if you experience being hung on a pole or a cross that way, the curse came on you. So Jesus experienced that. So he redeemed us. Say redeemed. Okay, what does redeem mean? Redeem means this, that you were purchased. You were ransomed. You were paid for. You were rescued. You know, I love, uh, one of my favorite movies is Captain Phillips. Everybody, anybody seen that movie with Tom Hanks, Captain Phillips? Okay, one person has. Anybody, y'all ever get out? I mean, <laughs> okay. You remember how Captain Phillips was taken captive by uh, the Somali pirates and uh, they, um, long story short, SEAL Team 6 came in and uh, wiped out all of the pirates and then rescued Captain Phillips. And what I want you to see is, is that those highly skilled, highly trained Navy SEALs, who I absolutely have the highest respect for, um, they came in and executed a plan. And, uh, and executing that plan, they were able to rescue Captain Phillips from, from harm and, and impending danger that the pirates were trying to bring on him. Well, here's the good news. A highly skilled, highly trained individual came into the earth some 2,000 years ago, and he paid the price. He did what it took and executed the plan to rescue you from death sickness and disease, poverty and lack, and to bring you into the family of God. He executed that plan and rescued you and ransomed you. Now, here's the good news. He didn't pay a dime of money for you. He paid with his own blood. He's the only rescuer that has ever totally sacrificed his life, his blood, and, and, and experienced spiritual death and separation from God in order to rescue people. Now, here's what, what I want you to see. Write this down, please. Christ has purchased us, ransomed us, and rescued us from the curse of doom, destruction, and failure. Hallelujah. So all that Murphy's Law stuff we read, this right here nullifies all of that. Now, I'm not saying your life will go perfect once you get born again, but what I am saying is, is that when things go wrong in our lives, the blessing will work in our lives in order to make what's wrong right. You know, the Scripture says that, that what the enemy tries to bring into our life to bring destruction and means for our harm, God will turn it around and cause it to work in our favor. In other words, can I say it to you this way? He'll cause the devil's trap to backfire on him. Hallelujah. We'll see that in just a moment. So you, Christ has purchased us, ransomed us, and rescued us from the curse of doom, destruction, and failure. So, so say this after me. In Christ, I am no longer under the curse of doom, 
destruction and failure. Okay? So Jesus paid the price to ransom you out of the curse. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that emphasize this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 20 in the easy to read version. It says this, God paid a very high price to make you his. So honor God with your body. He paid a great price. Did you know it cost him everything to buy you? He had nothing left. Why? Because he gave his most prized thing, and that was himself and in the outworking of his own son. So God paid a very high price. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, I'm so glad God didn't just turn a bunch of gold over to the devil and say, here, I'm buying them back. Nope. It says that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Religion couldn't buy us back. Living right can't buy you back. You ought to live right, but that doesn't make you free from the curse. It doesn't ransom you. It doesn't rescue you. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It took the precious blood of Jesus. And you know, I've, I very often, I, I'm, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back when I say this, but I try and take communion very often. A lot of times I'll take it, I, I have for periods of time taken it every day. And as I'm, as I'm receiving communion, I, I remember, the scripture tells us to remember the price that he paid. I remember the blood being spilled out onto the ground, every drop being poured out for us. I remember his broken body for us, but he bought us, he redeemed us, he rescued us, he delivered us with the precious blood of Christ. Say, that, say this after me, say, I am redeemed. Through the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. All right, so have we established that you're redeemed? Have we established that you've been rescued? Have we established that you've been paid for? All right, so let's go and let's begin to look then. at. We've looked at what you've been redeemed from. Let's look at what you've been redeemed into. Let's talk about the blessing. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. So we've been redeemed from the curse. Why? Why did God do that? So that the blessing of Abraham might come, up, come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Jesus paid the price to get the curse off of us so that the blessing might come upon us. Um, here's one thing that I want to do in this series, okay? And, and listen, I'm not knocking this. I've been guilty of it too. But when people ask you, how you doing? And we just mimic or, you know, like a parrot, we say, I am and highly, okay? See, it's become so routine to us that we've lost the impact of what we're saying. I want, when you say, I am blessed, I want it to take on a whole different meaning to you. 
I want it to become more than something we say as a casual greeting. By the way, can I just say this? When you're talking to sinners, don't say stuff like that. They don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's, that's foreign to them. It just sounds like Christianese. And, the, you know, the first thing they think is, oh, here we go. Okay, no. Uh, listen, reserve that for yourself if you need to. And when people that don't know Jesus ask you how you're doing, say, I'm great. I'm doing well. Okay, all right. Unless the Lord tells you. Now, if the Lord tells you, go ahead and, and unload on them. All right. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3, okay? Now, in your notes, do you have a point that's before that scripture? I believe I'm, I'm, my notes differed. Okay, so here we go. Write this down. Let me define what a blessing is. The blessing is a declaration which empowers someone to succeed and prosper, the blessing is a declaration which empowers someone to succeed and prosper. Now, you remember, a curse is a declaration which dooms someone to failure. A blessing, uh, and really what it is, it's a declaration. It, it is words that are spoken that come on you to empower you to succeed and prosper. That's what the blessing is. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. And verse 1, now it says we're blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Let's begin to look at what the blessing of Abraham is. So the, the scripture says in Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now this is God's very first interaction with the man named Abram, who will become Abraham. He's living in an idolatrous household apart from God, and God finds this man. Now, a little side journey. Uh, have you ever wondered why God tapped Abram on the shoulder one day and said this to him? The scripture clearly tells us, it says this, God chose Abram because he knew he would teach his children's children about God. Okay, so that's important. Just a little side note, that's free. That won't cost you anything, all right? So he said, get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. In other words, I will empower you to prosper and succeed. I will make your name great. And don't forget this part, you shall be a blessing. Now the blessing it's twofold. It's for you and comes upon you, but it's to outwork from you. The blessing is not for us to be able to sit around, uh, you know, happy, fat, and sassy because we've got the blessing on us. No, the blessing comes on us to not only cause us to uh, be empowered to prosper and success, be successful, but it also comes on us so that we can impart that blessing to other people so that we can use that as a tool for the gospel and we can impact other people's lives. Now, he goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in, in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want you to think about this. Abram had no idea 
at this moment what was coming in the future. Now, if you, if you know and if you're a student of the Word, you know that several thousand years later, who came out of Abram was Jesus. And through Jesus, all families of the earth are blessed. So indirectly, this promise came to pass to Abram. Now, he probably, when that promise was made to him, had no idea how that was going to come to pass. Thank God he really didn't dwell on it and allow it to cause him to become doubtful and, and all of that. But the fact of the matter is, the blessing on Abram was this. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that is the introduction of the blessing of Abraham. Now, later on, as you know, again, being a student of the Old Testament, several hundred years after Abraham lived, the children of Israel were, uh, of course, in bondage in Egypt. God sent a deliverer named Moses. Moses, by the power of God, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them into the wilderness, and God made a covenant with the children of Israel. And in that covenant, he further defined what the blessing of Abraham was. Now, let me say this to you. You and I, as Gentiles and outside of Christ, have no access to this blessing. But because we have been, the scripture says, engrafted in and adopted in by the Lord Jesus, we have access to this blessing. I am not a Jew. I'm not a natural born Jew. But in Christ, I've been brought into the family. Hallelujah. And so have you. So that being said, let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want to read verses 1 through 14 to you and with you so that you can see the blessing that is available to you. Now, the scripture says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to, carefully, uh, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Now, if you want to make a note, I didn't put this in your notes, but if you want to make a note of this, obedience is the key to opening the blessing, okay? So you will not be able to experience the blessing of God active in your life if you are disobedient. Obedience is what opens the door. It's the key that opens the door to the blessing being active in your life. So notice the very first thing, God made this conditional. He said, if you will obey. In verse two, he says this, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. That word overtake in the Hebrew language means this. It will chase you down, run you over, and tackle you to the ground. Okay? All right? So all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. See, you need to be going around every day saying, the blessing of the Lord overtakes me, chases me down. Listen, you've got, you know, Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You got goodness and mercy following you. You've got the blessing chasing you, threatening to tackle you to the ground. 
And the Bible says in Isaiah 58 that the Lord will be your rear guard. You're covered. All right? (laughs) Okay. Lord, help me get through this. All right, here we go. We got a lot of verses. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here are the blessings. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Now, somebody said, but I don't have any herd and cattle and flocks. Well, what you need to understand is these were assets to these people back then. What God is saying is, I'll increase your assets. So however you define assets in your life, that's what he's talking about. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's your kitchen. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. See, I knew the blessing was going to take care of that mean boss that's been giving me a hard time. No, that's not what he's talking about. All right? He's not talking about people. What he's talking about is the plans of the enemy that the enemy brings, attempts to bring into your life. What you will see is they'll come before you one way, but because of the blessing of God on your life, you'll see them scatter seven ways. Okay? The Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. So listen, I got to say this. You're blessed coming in, blessed going out. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field on your job. And so listen, now he said he's going to bless you in everything you set your hand to. I think that pretty much covers it, don't you? Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and shall be afraid of you. Now, I got to say this. Notice it doesn't say that they will hear that you're called by the name of the Lord. It says they will see. They'll see it. How are they going to see it? The only way that natural folks, heathen people, see God is when it manifests in the natural. Okay? So there is some things, there are some things that God will do in your life that will be undeniable to folks that are watching your life that don't know Jesus that they will not be able to say anything but God. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. Uh, You shall lend to many nations but you shall not have to get that car financed when you need another car. Oh, is that not what it said? Okay. In other words, you aren't going to have to hold your hat and go beg the world to give you or loan you some money. Now, listen, I'm not, don't get under condemnation if you're in debt. But what I'm telling you is debt, from what I see, is not part of the blessing. When you owe other people 
especially heathen people, that is not part of the blessing. All right? Well, praise the Lord. I'll just keep reading on reading here. Verse 13, And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so, shall, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after other gods to serve them. So as I said to you, obedience is the key to being able to walk in the blessing. Now here's, here's what would be a tragedy, is to be a born-again believer walking around with the blessing of God on you but the blessing is inactive. Because number one, either we're disobedient or number two, we're ignorant. We don't know anything about it, how to allow God to manifest that into our lives. Somebody said, Pastor, you know, this, is, this seems kind of far out. It almost seems too good to be true. Well, guess what? Welcome to the gospel. The gospel, the entirety of the gospel is too good to be true. It's too good that a God who loves me and cares for me and loved me enough before I was even born to send his son to the cross to pay the price for me, knowing before the foundation of the world that I would show up here and I would be able to live my life and choose to receive him and be able to walk in all the good things he has in store for me. Friends, that is the gospel, and that is too good to be true. But thank God it is it is true, and we can receive it and walk in it. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right, so let's begin to wrap this up. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, I want to read to you from the New Living Translation. It says this, Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. You remember what we read? So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, let's, let's go on and let's define it even further. Drill down a little bit further. Galatians 3.29 says this, And if you are Christ, anybody in here, you belong to Christ, okay? If you are Christ, then... Are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Now, it's yours if you want it. It's available to us in Christ. The, the new living of that same verse says this, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So I, I want you to this week begin to think about, I, and I double dog dare you to go back to Deuteronomy 28 and read verses 1 through 14. Read it every day and begin to get that understanding down on the inside of you of what that blessing is and what that blessing means and what is available to you. Now here's the good news about the blessing, and this is the last thing I want you to write down in this, is this. The blessing means that things that used to work against you begin to work for you. Don't let the words, man, I tell you what, if, it's, if I have access to it, it'll probably go wrong. You know, we say some dumb stuff sometimes. 
You know, my car will probably break down sometime this year. I mean, really? No, don't let those words come out of your mouth. Listen, your car might be old. It might need some work done on it. But listen, let the blessing help you maintain your car. All right? Don't doom your car to failure. Don't doom your life to failure. Let the power of God, the blessing of God that is available to you, let it begin to work in your life to cause some things to go right for you. That is the will of God for your life. Now, somebody said, well, does that mean again that I, I won't ever have trouble? No, I'm not saying that to, to you at all. But what I am saying to you is that even though we, are, we might encounter trouble, there is a way out and God's word says that we can triumph in every circumstance. Can I get an amen? All right, so the blessing means the things that used to work against you will begin to work for you. So I'm excited about this series. I want you to get a hold of these things because I believe the blessing is going to go to work in your life. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.